it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hey, this is a rock and roll museum. You guys don't belong in here. <laughs> They ranted, they fainted, their eyes were glassy, some pulled their hair out, some tore their dresses, they threw notes of a very uh, undesirable nature on the stage. I'll tell you all about it. Welcome to Long Play, a podcast where nerds rock out with their Spock out. Welcome to Long Play. This is a show where a couple of freaks look at an album and talk about it as an album. My name is Bob Fisher, and with me tonight, for his first time on Long Play, Andrew Leyland. Andy, welcome. Hello, it's nice to be here at this godly hour of the morning. Because these transatlantic <laughs> calls really do take their toll, don't they? Yeah. Tell me about it. What is it, four in the morning? <laughs> it is for you. It's only eight in the morning for me. Yeah. It's a good time to wake everybody up with a lovely, gentle album of indie pop. Well, this is, uh, this is going to be good because we're going to be talking music tonight. No funny books. It's all about music tonight. And uh, we've picked an album. But before we get to the album, I want to hold that for a second. Before we actually get to the album, I have a musical question for you, Andy, since, you know, first time here. John or Paul? John. <laughs> All right, then I think we're going to get along really well. <laughs> I mean, let, let's be honest, John's got some stinkers in his catalogue as well. Yes, he does. Uh, but Paul tends a little bit more. John, uh, sorry, Paul tends a little more towards the saccharin for my tastes. But at the end of the day, he's still got one of the best credits in history. He was 50% of the greatest writing team ever. Ever. For me, the guy can do what he wants post-1970. He's got nothing left to prove. I couldn't agree with you more. The, uh, all four of those guys, Ringo included. Yeah, he was, 
irrespective of what you may think of his catalogue post-Beatles, he was 25% of the most innovative and arguably best band ever, and he was 50% of the best writing team. That's unarguable in music history. So, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. He can do as many frog choruses as he wants. <laughs> agreed, agreed. And the fact that even after 1970... Um, they all four went on to have really, really good careers. And uh, just, I think this week, was it just this past week, Ringo was finally inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for his solo material, for him as an individual artist. He was already there as part of the Beatles, of course, uh, but uh, he was just inducted this week uh, with Joan Jett and a few other rockers and one or two disco people that irritate me to no end but uh yeah uh, did you go on a rant about that a little bit yeah i did i did go on a little bit of a rant about it and uh it's okay though you know but you know when uh i'll start taking it seriously again when they put robin trower's name on the ballot Mm -hmm. he's there also with uh, i think procol harem or some other band that he played with earlier a million years ago but if he had not done anything but bridge of size he should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for that album. That's an album I'd like to get done on long play eventually. But anyway, the Beatle question, that's a good one. I always like to find out from people, are you John or Paul? And So uh, I take in the eternal question of Beatles are the Stones, you're a Beatles fan. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I think, uh, I love the Rolling Stones. I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah, the guy that's going to slam Yeah, it's not an either-or situation, really, is it? But I'll be no. honest, if I, if I had to pick an album of those to listen to, it would be the Beatles rather than the Stones. Yes. But yeah, John's always been the one for me. It was just always when I look back. But that started it, really, how I got really into the Beatles, which, again, has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. Yeah, but everything goes back to the Beatles. Everything. So, you and I, we started talking about doing long play. Six uh, months together, ago. <laughs> about six months ago. And uh, had a little back and forth and thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? Which album do you want to do? And we have uh, a couple of choices. And when you came up with tonight's choice, uh, I must admit, my first thought was, who? What? <laughs> <Good>. What? <laughs> <laughs> and I had to look them up again, and I went, oh, and then I thought, this is a brilliant choice. This is this is brilliant. So tell us, uh, who have you chosen for us to do here tonight on Longplay, and why? I have chosen Sunday's debut album, Reading, Writing, and Arithmetic, because the title is a pun on where they come from, rather than reading, writing, and arithmetic. And I have chosen it because, A, it is one of my all-time favorite records, full stop. Um, It got me through college, and it kind of went away a bit, you know, as it does when you, you get married and have children. Uh, but then it came back because I just simply adore jingly jangly indie guitar pop. I always have. That's I get laughed at by my family that if it doesn't have a melody, Andrew's not interested. <laughs> and they're absolutely right. I'm not. It has to have a hook. It has to have something that gets me emotionally involved in what it is. And I'm a sucker for A, jingly jangly guitars, because I just admire people who can play guitar immensely, and ethereal female vocals. And Harriet Wheeler who is the lead singer of the band and the main songwriter with her husband, Dave Gavarin, who's the guitarist. Uh, I think she has just simply a sublime 
an utterly gorgeous voice. She she is the heir apparent to um, Cocteau Twins, Liz Fraser. She is the heir apparent to Liz Fraser from the Cocteau Twins. And probably the best way to describe them to people who've never heard the Sundays is if Johnny Marr and Liz Fraser made an album. Uh, so you and this was 1989. Yeah, it came I think out this in 1989. I think it got picked as part of John Peel's Festive Fifty. Uh, the single "Can't Be Sure" got picked by John Peel as one of his Festive Fifty. John Peel was an incredibly revolutionary DJ in uh, in England. Everyone who likes music knows who John Peel was. He came up on pirate radio in the 60s and he went through that whole uh, mate cheesy DJ stuff in the 70s that Harry Enfield took the piss out of so mm. magnificently with Smashy and Nice. Uh, but John Peel never became that. He was never interested in personality. He was never interested in celebrity. He was interested in music and the BBC supported him and he had a late night show on, on radio one for many many years um before his untimely death i think in 2010 he was only i think he was only in his 60s uh he died of a heart attack and right up to his death young bands people like 14 15 year olds would send the demo tapes to john peel and john peel would play them for them john peel gave a lot of bands the first uh, and it, he I'm not going to say he he gave the Sundays the start, but certainly can't be sure being on his festive 50 is certainly a calling card that you've arrived in some fashion. If John Peel notices you, it normally meant good things. Well, I think that's one of the things that's really missing in modern radio. Uh, It's particularly terrestrial, what they call terrestrial radio, regular over-the-air radio, is that it's all programmed. There's two or three people picking what is played, and it's on a loop over and over again. Same homogenous auto-tuned. Everywhere, everywhere. It's all the same. It doesn't matter what city, state, country you're in. You flip on the radio, you go down the dial. It's going to be the song on the radio that made you go, "Wow, that's good." It's been a while. Yep, (laughs) it's it's been a while. But I'll tell you what. Let's while we're talking about them, the very first song called uh, Skin and Bones. that's great isn't it yeah I love that and I love the the lyrics she's the quintessentially British let's be honest she even mentions in one of the songs that we'll get to later that uh, England's my country the home of the free such miserable weather which pretty much sums us up (laughs) quite right but this one this one's just got lovely lines in it oh you see me in a cardigan and a dress 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 I've been sick on how many songs do you know talk about being sick that still sound this lovely that isn't a punk record about vomiting all over your mates while you're crowd surfing and the lyrics are just they're very clever I've always been a big fan of clever lyrics which is probably why I like the Smiths because I do find Morrissey funny whereas a lot of people find him miserable 
I find him amusing. So I, I, I think that, and yeah, Dave Gavarin's guitar playing is simply sublime. Why he never became as big as Johnny Marr, I have no idea, because that's clearly one of his influences. But he does. Well, I think he, I think he would have had um, they not kind of cut their career a little short. Uh, I plan on talking a little bit later about this, but they put out a couple of out the Sundays, and um, they really haven't put out anything for 10, 15 years. I think if they had continued to produce work, he would be continued. This is this guitarist. How are you pronouncing his last name? Gavarin. 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 Uh, incredible, tasty, classic. Clean. Yeah, it's um, it's a good opener. the the sing The first single off the record was the next one, which is here. Where, here's where the story ends, which is arguably still the most famous song uh, over here for you guys. I think the cover of Wild Horses they did that ended up on Buffy the Vampire Slayer is probably yeah. the most famous song. Right, and that was right, just a B-side. Over here, that was just a B-side on one of the um, right. singles. And it got right. picked up by the, the WB in the late 1990s, and it ended up on Buffy and probably Dawson's Creek. Um, it's a sublime version of that song. And I can see why it, it got where it was going, but it's not a Sunday song. It's a Rolling Stone song. Yeah, so yeah. The thing with them disappearing is largely the result of Here's Where the Story Ends. This they they were very canny about their publishing rights from the very beginning, and Gavarin and Wheeler own all of the publishing rights. And in the late 1990s, I think the biggest selling single of the year was a cover version of "Here's Where the Story Ends" by Tintin Out. So basically, Gavarin and Wheeler took that money and ran, and then just didn't bother working again. And you know, fair play to them. If I could make enough money at 40 to never work again, then I would snap your hand off. But I can't help but think it's denied me, purely selfishly, of listening to her voice. Absolutely. In fact, we're going to start here. Uh, Let's go ahead and start. Uh, Here's where the story ends. I love this song. This is this is uh, uh, one of my favorites on the album. And yeah, it is a lovely song. And uh, the, the lyrics, are, for one, they mention the shed in the garden. How many songs do you know mention the garden shed? But Not it's, many. It's just wonderfully evocative. It's that little souvenir of a terrible year that makes my eyes feel so. I never should have said the books that you read were all I loved you for. And it's it's a wonderful little heartbreaking song about breaking up with somebody but doing it quite kind 
and not it's not a big emotional drama it's just realizing that i don't actually love you i don't want to be with you in that way and it's her memories of that it's a little souvenir of a terrible year and it's the memories of the shed that make me turn red and you're like well what did you do in the shed well what do you do in sheds with teenagers when you're a kid yeah and it's 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 gorgeous song it's and the devil in me said go down to the shed so they did something in there that she's she's not and she's not embarrassed by it but at the same time it makes her cheeks flush a little bit but this is where the story ends we're not carrying on anymore and it's just lovely and the guitar playing in this again is gorgeous and wheeler's voice just kind of hangs above it but like you say it it's hard. I can't imagine listening to this just as an instrumental, even though the guitar in is gorgeous. It's it's the whole package because it is. I do. I think the guitar playing's awesome, but I think when I was introduced to this by a friend in college, Jonathan said, "Have you heard this?" Because he knew of my propensity for jingly jangly guitar pop, and he said, "Have you heard the Sundays?" And I was like, "No." And this will have been in like 1989, and he he brought a copy of this album in for me, and from the first song like you say it's wheelers vocals that attracted me and it yeah, was her and i didn't know anything about them but it was her voice and because the first thing we said to each other it's very cocteau twins because he was mm. heavily into the cocteau twins mm. but you can understand what harriet wheeler's saying right which was never was never a liz fraser thing you never understood what she was saying but i listened to this for two days and in the headphones turned up and her voice and the this the feel of this it's a very um, ethereal. You know, I want to yeah ethereal and sensual and sexual and not it's yeah. just it's, it's it's it is it's very British that's yes. not a swear word we can do cool stuff every now and again <laughs> yeah. it is yeah. it is kind of it's down it's Miss Marple sexy. It's that, not that Miss Marple's sexy, but that, you know, the home counties and rolling fields, it's kind of an idealized yes. version of England that perhaps doesn't really exist. But Harriet Wheeler's voice conjures that up for you. You think of, it's more the countryside part of England. It's the Peak District. It's hills and streams and rivers, and you can see them living in little houses in cobble streets. And it's kind of timeless, in that this record is what over 25 years old and it doesn't sound over 25 years old well can't can't be sure which is the next track was the one that made john peel's festive 50 and it was the other single off the record and it's not quite as well known as here where the story ends because of the tintin out cover but they have they've shown up on quite a few soundtracks i think simon pegg and um edgar wright have used them a couple of times on on some of the films or in space or something like that. Alright, well here is here is can't be sure.
people involved behind the scenes in this particular album, uh, and this was early in their career, putting all this, which eventually becomes Geffen Records, and uh, uh, that history alone is worth looking up. It's an incredible history, and one of the albums, uh, since we were talking Beatles earlier, uh, his last album, John Lennon's last album, Double Fantasy, um, was also Geffen Records and was released uh, two weeks before he was shot. So that's what I always think. When I saw Geffen Records, that what jumps out to me always now is, along with all the other stuff he did during that time period, uh, Double Fantasy really jumps out at me. Yeah, well, you can sometimes tell if you're going to like a band by the record label they're on. And uh, Rough Trade were home to the Smiths and the Buzzcocks and, and other bands like that, and more latterly the Libertines and the Strokes. So it, I, th- I actually think you got a different version of the record than we did on Geffen. I think you got an extra track that we didn't get. Interesting. Do you know which one that was? I have no clue, but I think the, the tracks are in a different order as well on the American one. So your mind's a Rough Trade copy. But it does also say Geffen on it as well, so I don't. Maybe they merged the two together at some point and released it as a special edition. Anyway, mine mine's got uh, ten songs on it. Mine also has ten songs. All right, I could be wrong there. Oh, and while while we're listening here to um, "Can't Be Sure," their number one single release, do you have a list in front of you of the other band members? One of the things about the Sundays is the fact that they are. Uh, a really, really, really tight band. Yeah, Dave uh, Gavarian was guitar, Harriet Wheeler was the voice, Paul Brindley was bass, and Patrick Hannon was drums. But the songs were all written by Gavarian and Wheeler. Do you need to have this swimming around your ears? You need to lose yourself in her voice. Put it on in a dark room and just listen to her. And the next song we have, I Won, up next. Is that also yeah. yours? Yeah, yeah. I one's an interesting one because I've read somewhere that this is actually about flat share politics when you're a student and um, I won the war in the sitting room I won the war and it cost me I won the war and I feel proud it's like she's just had a big argument with her, her flatmates and she, it's political in the sense that you're constantly at war with the people you with, with, live with for control of the remote control for the TV I don't think that the Sundays ever really got overtly political. You know, they weren't Michael Stipe standing up there with the uh, the loud right. hailer telling you to vote smart or whatever, and they're certainly not Bono 
pleading at you to do whatever it is Bono's got to be in his bun about this week. This was more, it's, it's about the politics of sharing your house when you're a student, which was one of the things that the Sundays did very, very well. It's that they kind of did breach that little bit. You know, there's lots of teen angst records and there's lots of records about being adults, but they kind of were the first studenty type band that talked about what you were talking about when you were a student. Oh, I'd like to go to have a party in the cellar tonight. That's all you're interested in when you're a student. I'd like to take the matches and set it alight, but I can't. I've seen those kind of places before. It's it's just that there's something real. I really like I won because it, it's, it does signify that it's it's obviously a really petty victory that she's won. She's not won anything major. Because she actually calls, she actually says, You're super silly, a smile. I won the war and I feel proud, but God only knows why it's hard to get to sleep in my house. And it's, I don't think it's an overtly political song in terms of a rallying call. Right, right. But I, that's what I got from it. But I never got well, that the Sundays were a band that stood up and said, You need to vote the way I vote. Mm. Really, really, really good tune. Really good tune. Number five, hideous, hideous, his hideous towns. I love Hideous Towns because there's so many things in it. There's so many good, really cool word play. Uh, I went into service with the civil service, but it didn't help, <laughs> which is just <laughs> genius. I get that this one's just about, you know, apathy, generally. She doesn't actually know what she wants. Hideous Towns make me throw up. And I went into service with the civil service. The civil service at that point were essentially, you know, all the people Monty Python would take the piss out of, suits and ball hats and umbrellas and they work in the city. Yes. That was the civil service. It's normally working for the government, telling people that they can't have the dole, mm. that kind of thing. Right. And I joined the army, the Salvation Army, but it didn't help. Don't ask me why. I joined the army, but it drove me barmy and it didn't help. So she's tried working for a charity, which is the Salvation Army, and that's not helped her either. So whatever it is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will just finish me off if you're near enough. Uh, and it's it's she's it's a song about being young and not actually knowing the direction you want to go your life in. So she's trying all these different things and it's not going anywhere for her and it's not doing anything for her. Though I went to circus Piccadilly Circus, it was very strange. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. I never want to roam. I took the first bus home and I haven't changed. So <laughs> she's trying all these different things and it's just not working out for her. My hopeless youth is really very young. My hopeless youth is so uncouth. So there you go. And now you know. 
and, and that's what I got. But I'm just so lost in the humour of the wordplay. I mean, it's not quite up there with Morrissey mm-hmm. yet, right? But it's clever, and certainly it's the funniest song on the record. But again, the references are quintessentially English. So I don't know. Do you, you don't have a Salvation Army, do you? They're a charity yes, drive. Yes, we do have a Salvation, so you have the Salvation Army. Army. Yeah. And the civil service, it's a government worker, basically. Right. An office drone in a cubicle would be today's equivalent. Mm. But I love the, the line of, I went to the circus. And you're like, oh, cool. But no, it was Piccadilly Circus. Oh, <laughs> all right. It's the... this, is, this is just a lovely song. I love Hideous Towns. And it is a, a quintessential pop tune. This is a pop yeah. song. Oddly, it, it wasn't released as a single. Yeah. I mean, I think you could release pretty much every song on this record as a single. And if they were Michael Jackson, they probably would have done. But thankfully, they had more ethics than that. Just terrific. All right. And what do we have up next? Number six. You're, you're not, you're the, not only. the only one I know. There's another the... beautiful... Uh, it's just going to be very repetitive. It this. really I is. I apologize, lovely listener. But every single song on the record is equally gorgeous and funny at the same time. Because the opening line, the opening line of this one was the harm in voicing a doubt. You'll find me in the lavatory. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the harm in reading my stars when I'm in the lavatory? And it's like, so you've got the opening stanza of this tongue is just a vision of the singer sitting on the bog reading her stars. <laughs> How many pop songs do you know start out with that premise? <laughs> It's, it's just brilliant and it's just it's the mundanity of it that makes it magnificent I think it's like all those old episodes of Doctor Who that take place in the home counties it's the, that contrast of the mundanity of walking down a, a street and then the um, the office things the dummies the shop window dummies coming alive and trying to kill you it was that beautiful mixture of the mundane with this absolutely gorgeous voice What's so wrong with voicing a doubt when I'm on my own? It's perfectly fine to sleep in a chair from Monday till Saturday. And what's so wrong with talking out loud when I'm all alone? It's all these little things that you get the feeling that somebody's took the piss out of her for doing. You know, you talk to yourself. And she's like, well, so what? Nobody's here. And once again, done with haunting guitars and this incredible melodic um, vocal. Just it's it's just remarkable and and you're right we're saying it every time and it, it but it is true it is not a typical little pop 
album, but any one of these no, songs could a, be. There's a darkness to it as well, lyrically, that contrasts with how gorgeous her voice is. And it's that candy barbed wire thing that you get from it that there's you listen to it the first time and it's jingly jangly and her voice is gorgeous and oh that's pleasant and then when you start listening to what she's saying there's a little bit of an undercurrent of darkness to it that you get the impression that the protagonist of these songs is not all that happy in anything she's you've she's directionless she, i mean i'm saying she simply because it's a she that's she's singing, singing it, it right yeah, she's a student and she's directionless and maybe she's not quite where she wants to be and she, the relationships that she's having aren't working out and she's stuck somewhere like hideous towns. She's maybe stuck somewhere she doesn't want to be. And it's there's a theme to the whole record that permeates that this is somebody who is not happy. But it's somebody who has a sense of humour about her unhappiness. I think that's very British. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, just that concept. No, we're that we're not happy, right? But you know, we're as, we're as happy as we can be. Right. We're going to be so, happy you know, inside of our misery. We're going to be happy. Yeah, so. well, that's the line in "Can't Be Sure," isn't it? England's as happy as England can be. So why cry? <laughs> it's like you know, we know it sucks. We just get on with it. Get on. Stiff up a lip and all that. <laughs> right, right. And it works. And it really, really works. Uh, on to the next one. This one. Uh, is go ahead a certain someone is another lyrical masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. If I could ha have anything in the world for free, I wouldn't share it with anyone else but me. And she's very, very selfish. And then you suddenly get that little twist that except perhaps a certain someone. So you've got three choruses of a, you know, if I did this, I'd only do it for me. Live my life, state my claim, wash your clothes, change your name. Except perhaps a certain someone. So she's moved on from the relationship that wasn't working. And here's where the story ends. Mm. I love songs that do that. When writers do that, uh, you know, a stanza, 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 change. And, yeah. and I love that they do that. Devo did that in some of their work. It's a Beautiful World comes to mind, 
where throughout the entire song, it's all, it's a beautiful world for you, it's a beautiful world, all these wonderful, wonderful things, and in the last line, it's, it's a beautiful world for you, but not mm. for me. Yeah, so. and it's, it's the same in this, it's, she builds it up, and it's, you're too twisted by half, except perhaps a certain someone, but then you've got the kicker line, just to be sure I know the way out. So you've got that she's already planning her escape route from this relationship. <laughs> right. And musically, uh, here we are on song number seven, and compared to the first six, this one is practically, relatively speaking, a balls-to-the-wall hardcore rock and roll song. You know? Yeah, as hardcore as the Sunday's ever got, anyway. Yes, yes. And that's why I say relatively. Uh, <laughs> on this album... Uh, even when he does a distorted guitar on on uh, part of the lead on this, it's a subtle, quiet little background, just a, and it's just terrific. Just he's saying, yes, we're gonna get loud, we're gonna get a little raucous, but we're still gonna stay controlled, so that the voice is just cutting right through over the top of it. It's so wonderful. Just. This is a really, really good song, too. I think I've said that five a, or six times. Here. Well, it, it's it's just a consistently great record in that way that you kind of get the feeling that, and we're going to be get off your lawn for a minute, they don't really make anymore because of iTunes and Spotify and, and music has just moved essentially back to being single-led, which if you going back to the Beatles conversation at the beginning, it's like we planned this, isn't it? Yeah. Going back to the <laughs> Beatles conversation at the beginning, music was singles-led. Bands churned out singles, and those singles became albums. The idea of making an album that flowed from one song to the next and had cohesive themes and ideas, that only came in the latter part of the 60s, didn't it? Yes. And then in the 70s, you start getting your experimental and your prog rock and all that stuff. We've kind of gone back now to it having to be the power of the single, because on iTunes, people are only buying the songs that they want. They're not buying entire albums. So it's, it's kind of a relic of a, a bygone era now that this entire album consists of songs that are good enough to be singles but only two of them were because that's not what they were making they were making a record they right. were making an album and it flows from song to song and it builds up it really and there's does. another wonderfully british line in this i'd be careful living in a block of flats and i'd never take the lift to the top and it's true <laughs> you know, when we used to go in those big tower buildings we never took the lift because i don't like lifts anyway but it's it's it is that's another lovely song about a relationship. But this time she's actually plotting leaving it before it's even got started. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is about Harriet Wheeler, but she's very cynical, which is probably why I liked her. Probably. Uh, do we do we know the difference? Who wrote the 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 lyrics? Did they split the duties? One do the music and one do the lyrics? I or I have no clue. The, the credits on the records are only ever. Um, songs by Gavarin and, and Wheel. Yeah, that's all it said. Even when I looked it up off the record and went to Wikipedia, it just says all songs composed by, and it gave both of them. It's kind of like Lennon and McCartney, uh, mm. even though by 66, 67, they were maybe contributing a line or two here and there to each other's songs, but they weren't really sitting down together, writing tunes together much uh, after that point. But... Uh, 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 I think there are still people doing albums, but you just don't hear them because the market now is so splintered and people are into their own world. If you like a particular genre of tunes, uh, 
It's like radio yeah. we mentioned. You're going to listen to that, and you're not going to be exposed to something like this because it's not in your wheelhouse. No, I mean, I you, when you can go on Spotify and just program Sundays and artists like the Sundays, you never really have to listen to the radio if you don't want to. Right. But, you know, it, it's kind of, I can't see this being played on the radio at the minute. Maybe late night somewhere on, on Radio 2, but I can't imagine Radio 1 playing this anymore. Next tune. This one... Um, should have been a top 40 tune. This one should have been a hit. This one should have been a... Why did not... Well, I say that about all of them, but they should have released this one, uh, I think, definitely as a single. And when I first heard it, I thought, oh, yeah, this is their other hit. But I don't know that they actually released this. This song is called I Kicked a Boy. Yeah, it's... Oh, I'll let you play it, though. Yeah, so the thing with this one, though, the thing that prevents it being a single, it's all about the fact that she's accidentally punched this child. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> so, so you've kind of got the impression this kid was really irritating the piss out of her, so she's tripped him up, and he's gone <laughs> flat on his face. So lately I've been wondering just who's going to save me. And so, you know, I could have been wrong in doing what I was, but I don't think I was. She's totally unrepentant about doing it, which is what makes the song f- funny. How merrily I tripped a boy so we fell. Oh, I could have been wrong, but I don't think I was. <laughs> <laughs> so I was right in doing what I did to this small child. He can piss it off. And she's like, I have now I have a cold and a story to tell. I'd marry you, but I'm so unwell. You should have seen me a hysterical child. It's, it's, it's one of those that... As a single, you'd think, oh, that's quite pleasant. And then when you'd listen to it, you'd go, wait a minute. Well, that's me. I do that. I, I, I'm i the kind of guy that goes, oh, wow, I really love this. Listen to what all the tunes, listen to the music, what it's doing. And then later, I will figure out what they're actually saying. Um, and when I realized what she was actually saying in I Kicked a Boy, I just broke. I was laughing hysterically, thinking, oh, oh my funny, God, this is funny. hysterical. It's funny stuff. I'd have still released it as a single. I still think it's uh, a pop tune enough. The tune is catchy enough. And when they do well, that she, little break, she, that bridge, it's just, it's pop. It's bubblegum all over the place. If you can get away with releasing Girlfriend in a Coma, you can get away with releasing this. Yes! <laughs> Good point. Oh, God, I love this. 
Uh, my finest hour is next, which we'll play right now. There you go. It's a finely oiled machine, isn't it? We are so good. It's amazing, isn't it? We should do this professionally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we should have a late night radio show somewhere yeah. where we just sit. We were black turtlenecks and we smoke. Yeah. Well, maybe not smoke. Maybe not smoke anymore. Can't do that anymore. But we could, you know, uh, and we can talk really low and slow. And yeah. Thanks for being here start. on this late <laughs> late night oh. talk show. <laughs> right, well, well, oh yeah. My finest hour, uh, I think this is my favourite song on the record, of a, of a, a record where they're all, all my favourites. Right. But this one's just, uh, how many songs are built around the fact that the finest hour of the protagonist of the song was finding a pound? <laughs> the finest hour I've ever known is finding a pound on the underground. And I, I love the way this one builds up. I think, and the words came stumbling out of my mouth, and I'm, and I keep hoping you are the same as me, and I'll send you letters and come to your house for tea, but poetry is not for me, so show me the way to go. So it's another one of those where she thinks that she's found somebody, a kindred spirit or something, and again she's realised, no, nah, I just want to go home and have a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Harry, you were so British. <laughs> and your priorities. I love that. And it is very British. It's like, yes, it's, the world is falling apart, but that's okay. As long as I have a cup of tea, everything yep. will be fine. A cup of tea I solves every problem known to man. Hmm. I love this it. is a true fact. I can believe that. I can believe that. <laughs> oh, you've just had a bereavement in the family. Oh, you've just lost a limb. Oh, your house has just fallen down. <laughs> I'll put the kettle on. I love that. That's why I love watching uh, BBC shows so much too, because they do that. They write that right in their shows. It's doesn't yeah, anything's happening. On. I'll put a kettle on. It's just wonderful. I love that. Yeah, so I love my finest hour. I love the way that this builds as well, and it's another one of those songs that has uh, a sting in the ending, where you think again it's going to be another pretty, real, pretty relationship song. And it isn't. No, it's not. Uh, it ends up she'd rather go home and make a brew. Well, the thing again I come back to is is uh, uh, his guitar. It's this song is possibly the best on the album um, because of so many different layers, so many different things. The tempo changes, what they're doing, they're still getting the point across, the message across, and it's another time where you think. Um, his guitar just isn't even there and then all of a sudden it just boom there it is and you go oh god that's so good it just builds this song builds so well um just just really terrific god how many times have we said that well it's just a brilliant record 
if you like jingly jangly indie guitar pop. If you're into your right. hair metal, this may not appeal to you that much. It may not. And it's the, the other theme of this one, again, is being young and not actually knowing what you want again. There's, that's a common thread throughout this entire album. I don't know how old they were when they wrote this record. I think she was 10 years older than me. I think she was born in, in 1962, and Gavarin mm. was the same. Mm-hmm. So that would, would put them in the early to mid-20s when they wrote this. Okay. But there's the lines in this one, um, we are who we are, who cares what the others say. So once again, she's she's you get the feeling that the person in the song is still a little bit confused about who they are and what they want to be. And that's the theme that I get throughout the entire record, that at some point, hopefully, she actually found some peace with who she was. And that one line, though, kind of implies that she did. I, we are who we are. They um, were consistent throughout the entire album on this. Uh, as we come up to the last tune, number 10. And, uh, right. I've, I've had this record for 25 years. I'd be damned if I know what she's saying in it. And the last song, Enjoy? Yep, I have not got a clue what she's talking about in this one at all. Well, let's start it. Here we go. The last song on the album is called Joy. See, like I'm not gonna. You can make out some bits of it. It's like so he's cold and mad, mad as hell. And you saw him, and you can hardly know. I can't sing at the minute. I've still got a sore throat. I, I couldn't possibly be as good as Harriet Wheeler, but I, I'm damned if I know what this one's about. Not got a clue. I thought, Maybe you, that, I thought you had the lyrics in front of you there. No, no, that, that, that would be cheating. Because oh. it's it's a visceral thing, isn't it? Yes, it's, it is. Well, visceral. Yes, it's, it it's, is. It's how it makes you feel right. more than anything, particularly with music like this. Right. But this last one, 25 years I've owned this record, I've not got a damn clue what she's saying. I can pick out certain words, but... <laughs> well, I know it's a perfect ending for this great album. It's indie rock. It's indie, if that's what you want to go with. Yeah. Because... More than it's a pop record. If you think that this came out in 89, 90, it's, it's not what was pop at the time which no. was what was it 
two unlimited were big at that point that kind of no 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 that kind of stuff and madonna was still moderately big it's not that right and it's, it's not michael it's, jackson it's not no uh, it's not it's michael, none of the it's dance michael. this isn't dance music oh, it was all shoe dancing Right. That's what you used to, when you went the indie disco. There's a brilliant song by the Divine Comedy called the Indie Disco, which sums up my late teens and early twenties magnificently. Was sit in the corner <laughs> under the picture of Morrissey with the flowers, and uh, we'll we'll get up and dance looking at our feet. That's a that that's my early twenties right there. Look that up. Indie Disco by the Divine Comedy. Well, I'm like you. I have no idea what she's saying on this uh, on this last tune, Joy. But I love it. I think it's a great way to end this album and um, a great way to finish off a debut album. So I thank you for that. It is a class. No, well, you're very welcome. It was uh, was actually my second choice, wasn't it? We're going to do the other one at a later date. Yeah, at a later date, we're going to do the other one. But I thought this one was so off the wall, so different. So I I just thought that the, the listeners of Long Play and the freaks out there needed to be exposed to this and see the story kind of the story does end here's where the story ends they released blind two years later i think in 1992 which is a much darker album thematically than this one is but they've grown up a bit and it's not as catchy people say it's not as good i still love it because i can just lose myself in harriet's voice so I still adore Blind. And they followed that up again with the, the difficult third album, Static and Silent, in 1999, uh, which featured one of the biggest hits. Summertime is a proper pop tune. It's you and me in the summertime walking hand in hand in the park. But it's, it's still the Sundays. It's not like they've sold out to make a pop record because the rest of the, sort of the record of the album doesn't really fit with Summertime. But Summertime's a lovely song. And then they just quit. They made it, like I said, they, they kept the publishing rights. They made enough money from Tintin Out's cover version of Here Where the Story Ends to stop. And so they did. And they just stopped. See you, people. Bye. We go down to the indie disco every Thursday night. Dance to our favorite indie hits until the morning light. The Indie Disco The Indie Disco At the Indie Disco Yeah We've got a table in the corner That is always ours Under the poster of Morrissey If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 
Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. And when it's over and I'm freezing on the night bus home I think of her and I sing the words to my favorite song Oh yeah She makes my heart beat the same way as at the start of Blue Monday, always the last song that they